Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful summer day that you've given us to come here and worship together. You said not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So thank you for all of these that have come here, Lord. Thank you for all those who are listening all over the world. In Brazil, I, I see you. I see you. I see you in Russia. I see you in Japan. I see you all over Texas and in Houston and Cyprus. And so thank you. God bless you if you're not here. But I encourage you to try to get here if you can. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you that for the anointing that rests on me and on your word. Breaks every yoke. Thank you for the word. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for writing our names in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, let's, I want you to be praying for all the precious souls in Afghanistan. Uh, I have been praying every day about those poor souls. It doesn't matter what your politics are. God uh, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for everybody. Amen? Everybody. And so he would love for every one of them to have a shot at salvation. I know that there are a lot of Christians there. Uh, You'll be meeting a man who's a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Not today, but soon. He lives in Florida. He's a full-time minister and worldwide missionary evangelist. uh, And he's going to be doing a lot more traveling and preaching and teaching. And we're just we're just great friends. Uh, But anyway, he he has a pastor there in Afghanistan. And they had left a message on his door. We know who you are. And we're coming for you, you know. And uh, with uh, trembling hands and a prayerful heart, prayerful heart, he wrote back on the message, we're not leaving, and put it back on the door. So this is the kind of thing that really happens around the world. (laughs) For our faith, for what we're doing here today. Nothing more. Just a beautiful thing. But uh, anyway, lots of stories like that. But that's not the message today. But if you would, just continue to lift them up in prayer. Lord, we just pray for peace. We pray for... Uh, we pray for the supernatural, Lord, for you to protect and to help all of those who are seeking shelter, seeking to get away from the tyrannical forces that demonic forces that would come against them and try to kill and destroy and especially to kill and destroy your message lord we just thank you that your word and those who are brave to to minister your word in the midst of situations like that be covered with an anointing and a protection of the armies of god and that they be able to speak forth the word boldly and that everyone who wants to come and wants to hear the precious word of God, will hear it and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about marriage today. You say, well, I came in the wrong week. It doesn't really apply to me. Not married. 
don't want to be married or I am married or I got no problems there. Well, I got news for you. It's, uh, it's about everybody. It's about everybody. Marriage is a big thing to God and in the Bible. Amen. Thank you for that kind little amen. <laughs> the problem is even believers like you don't have a real understanding of the importance placed upon marriage by God in the Bible. Let's just act like I'm talking to everybody that's going to hear this message in the future that's not here. You have an understanding, but some people don't. Some believers don't. Maybe some of you don't. But this lack of understanding, or what a revelation is the word I always use, but it's just understanding. It's just where the light bulb goes on. You go, ah, I read that a thousand times. And today God spoke it to me and I get it. It applies to me. It applies to my situation and circumstances. And he really turned the light on for me today. That's understanding of God. That's, that's revelation knowledge. So people don't have a lack of understanding or an appreciation of marriage as God has ordained it. And it's having disastrous consequences. Amen. Amen. First thing is that it leads to a lowering of the standards of quality of life, quality of family life, which in turn leads to a lowering of, of the standard of life in our culture as a whole. Amen. We have an interesting time in which we live. Which people like me, for years, and in charismatic circles, we've come out strong against the Pharisees and the, the religious zealots and the legalists and the, the ones with the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall and do this, do that, turn or burn. You know, we've come against that sort of teaching because while it may be true, it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the grace of God, the free gift of salvation and what Jesus has done on our behalf. So we've come out to say, hey, the good news is what empowers people and sets them free. Amen. Amen. But the grace message has been out there for a while now. And to the extent that people not only get it, well, they don't really get it because what they've done is they've done what what Jude described, they've taken it and turned it into a license for sin. And he said, that's crazy. Because Titus 2, 11 and 12, Jesus talks about the grace of God, which brings salvation to all men, has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to live godly, upright lives in this present evil age. Something like that. That's my remembrance of it. It's close enough for today. Somebody will get me that. Don't ever say it's close enough in the Bible. It has to be exact. You're right. I have a, tra- a Texan translation I use. It comes from up here. But 2 Corinthians uh, ten twelve says that those who compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. 
So what we do, we look around, don't we? And we get in the center of comparison. We keep the phone stuffed in our face, see what everybody else is doing. That's why we stay depressed and obsessed and, and all that other stuff. We listen to the, the blues, not on the radio, on the TV. <laughs> the six and ten blues. And we hear things that are not from this word, but from the world. And the world stops at this soulish realm, the personality, the mind, the will, emotions, and then this physical carnal realm with things we can feel, see, hear, taste, and touch. There's nothing to do with the spiritual part of us, which is who we are. God's a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4.24, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, We are a spirit soul and body we're three-part beings just like our father in heaven amen hebrews 13 8 says jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so while the times in which we live the culture and the teaching and the educational system and everything else may change god hasn't And the only thing that changed about the way he has dealt with man for the entire history of the human race is the dispensation of time because of the different covenants that he has entered into with man. Amen. Which have been broken all along the way. And Jesus finally came and brought and ushered in this grace and truth, this church age. Amen. And it's from the time he was crucified on the cross and buried and resurrected and enthroned in heaven that be, and the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was poured out nothing has changed from then until the time he returns amen in the way that God deals with people and nothing has changed about the word of God amen. now people need to understand how to read the word of God and rightly divide it and look, read it through the lenses. I, I always talk about that old John Conley song, Rose Colored Glasses. I used to sing when I, I worked security for him one time. And, but you need the lenses of grace and truth to understand even the Old Testament. Otherwise, you'll think God is just a mean old bad guy waiting to, waiting to get you. And if you just see that blank page between Malachi and Matthew as a blank page... And you don't understand the tremendous difference that Jesus has made on your behalf. Then you're going to live a condemned life trying to earn a relationship with God, which is something you can never do. Jesus did that for you. All you got to do is accept everything that he did on your behalf and it's all credited to your account. Amen. Or oh me. Let's see what the Bible says about marriage so that we know what it really, really is, okay? First, the emphasis in the Bible is very strong. God places a strong emphasis on it all throughout human history. The the record of human history, for instance, begins and ends with marriage. Do you realize that? All right, well, let's talk about it a little bit. Genesis chapter 2. I'll try not to be too long today. Let you beat the Baptist to Luby's. 
Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version today. Then the Lord God said, He had created everything already. Everything was created. He had created Adam. He's in the garden. He had everything, all the provision he would ever need. Then the Lord God said, God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I heard somebody say, He must have seen him running with scissors or something down there. I will make a helper suitable for him. The old covenant says a helpmate, help me. Anyway, he needed something that he didn't have, someone. And God saw that and it said it wasn't good that he was alone. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what his name was. Then the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the... This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God said, not good, man be alone point I want to make here, God himself provided the bride. You notice he didn't make her out of the dirt either like he did Adam. He took her out of his side, not out of his back or his foot. Side. <laughs> Everything in the Bible means something. I believe, personally, that God let Adam feel the lack. So that he would more appreciate what he was about to provide. Amen. The Bible says a man finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains the favor of the Lord. Amen. So it was God's idea. And check this out. God gave the bride away. That was the first father giving away the first bride. He brought her and gave her to Adam. Amen. Then, let's fast forward to the climax, climax of human history. Go to the back of the book, Revelation chapter 19. Verse 6 through 9. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. The revelator John is describing what he saw here in heaven. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, 
For the marriage of the Lamb, capital L, that's Jesus Christ, has come. And His bride, that's you folks, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So, the consummation of all human history and blessedness found in the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is God's objective all through human history. His objective was to prepare a bride, a helpmate, as you were, for His Son, Jesus Christ. The climax comes when the bride is ready and she is presented to her husband. Hallelujah. So, history begins and ends with marriage. And all history regards the unfolding of the first marriage... And the preparation for the second. Amen. The next thing I want to point out is that marriage typifies the marriage of Christ to his bride, which we just briefly touched on, the church. You are the bride of Christ. This is a spiritual truth. It takes a little bit of spiritual understanding. But Paul makes it very clear. So let's look in the Word in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30, I think around 32. Let me get over there and look. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 5. Let's see here. Thank you, Jesus. He's talking about all the way from the 22nd verse to the end of the chapter about husbands and wives. Amen. But in the 32nd verse, I could read all that to you, but I won't to save time. Um, If you uh, ever want marriage counseling, I will definitely be going here and reading it all to you. Amen. (laughs) And I always love it because the women always want me to tell the men what he's supposed to do. And the men always want me to tell the woman what she's supposed to. And I tell them both, no, I want to talk to you about you. And I want to talk to you about you. Because that's what God wants. Amen. But verse 32 says, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, 
in Ephesians chapter 5, what, what he's describing is the relationship in the home between the husband and the wife, between a man and a woman, <laughs> and the fact that a human marriage is a picture that contains in it the mystery of Jesus and the church. The most holy of all relationships in the world and in all eternity is typified by marriage. Here's the, here's the catch. Not the catch, but the, the thing I want you to, to think about. Because I've come to this conclusion. Unless Christians can understand marriage in the light of the Bible, they cannot fully understand their own relationship to Jesus Christ. Because it's all a type and shadow of spiritual or eternal truths. Now you see why this is for everybody? The third thing I want to point out is God has provided protection, personal protection, and ordinances surrounding the institute of marriage to keep it sacred. Yes, he has. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God demands that all people hold marriage in the highest esteem and respect, and honor the institution of marriage. He's talking to everybody, all races and creeds everywhere in the world. And God has put his own seal on this by taking personal responsibility for the judgment against those who impair or defile or make light of marriage as he has set it out to be. Fornicators, he's talking about here, those are those who seek sexual relationships outside of marriage. And adulterers, as you know, those who enter into marriage relationship and then they break their marriage vow and seek relationships outside of the marriage covenant. I'm not standing up here as a self-righteous person, folks. I told you I didn't want to preach this message. But I don't... I only do what my father tells me to do. I come, I don't even know who my dad was. I come from the youngest, I'm the youngest of five. They all had the same dad. My mother married their dad when she was, I think, 14 or 15 to get away from the terrible home environment she was in. And my grandmother was on whichever marriage she was on at the time. You see what I'm saying? My great-grandfather was the pastor, so... Hey. But they jumped the tracks there for a couple of generations. My uncle, who we all loved, he was like John Wayne, only better looking and cooler. Imagine that. This dude was awesome. 
We all loved him. And he, I think he kind of got this because he was, <laughs> he wasn't a fornicator because he was married 13 times. <laughs> anyway, folks, and Tavana and I, as all of you know, we love each other very much. We dated in high school, but we were apart for almost 20 years after that because we didn't know what love was and how to love each other correctly. And we, we paid the price for it. Amen. But now we've been married for 18 years again. And so we're thankful. And we're doing it God's way to the best of our ability. Believe me, everybody, all you married folks, <laughs> you men, do you love your wife as perfectly as you should, like Christ loves the church every day? <laughs> I want to, but I, I can't say that I do. I try. I, and, and women, do you respect and honor your husband as, as, as the Bible instructs you to do? No. So, there's a lot of good news at the end of this. I tell you, we're in the grace and truth age, the church age, where Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins. Amen. So I'm not trying to condemn anyone here. We're trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're trying to multiply the peace of God in our lives. And that's how you do it, by growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, getting to know Him better, getting closer to Him. Fornicators and adulterers, God was talking about, he would judge. I just think it's it's interesting that he interjects himself, the Father, you know, you don't see that often in there. He will judge. Like, he's taking this very personally, like, this is something that I ordained, and I'm going to watch out for it. In both cases, fornicators or adulterers, they're, they're all guilty Basically, of disrespect and dishonor of the institute of marriage ordained by God. And he himself takes this personal responsibility for keeping it sacred and keeping it protected. I have a couple of little testimonies or stories I want to finish this with. And then I'll let you, I'll let you go early today. <laughs> but it's... I think maybe helpful examples. I don't know. It's just what God put on my heart to share with you today. But there was a, there was a minister who I uh, who's a mentor of mine. He had a uh, a church. He uh, had a young woman who she'd sort of grown up in the church, and she was grown now getting to you know she was time married marrying age whatever that is there's not a marrying age but you get it come to be a young woman now and a boy started coming to the church because of her and he came for a while and he he jumped through all the hoops and the girl came to the pastor pretty soon and said hey I we want to get married. And he said, well, I uh, I hate to tell you this, but I, I disagree 
with that choice at this time. This is a really, really righteous and holy man. He saw great miracles and signs and wonders, and he walked in gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge and prophecy and everything. And he says, I really, really believe that this young man is only here for you, and that he has never made a true heart commitment to the Lord And what God wants, because He loves you, sweetheart. He's jealous for you. He wants you to have a godly man that He has prepared for you. And it'll be a beautiful life as a result if you will just be patient. Well, she rejected His words. Ran off with the boy. And long story short, she came back about four years later with three children. By herself. Welcomed her with loving arms and they started again. But her life was much more difficult from that point on, as you can imagine. There's uh, some friends of mine just gave me a book. And uh, maybe I'll recommend it to you all and let you read it. They wrote some nice things to Tavana and me and and uh, these are amazing ministers of God. It's a couple, but I, I want to share something from their book. Love to read the whole thing. It's so so amazing. But uh, they spent many years in Russia and in the the Ukraine ministering as missionaries, and now they're here. They're in Colorado, and they run a huge portion of of uh, the twelve hundred employee. Uh, Ministry of Karis Bible College and the world outreach and, and all of this. But anyway, they're just great people, great ministers of God. And they share a story in their book that I thought would be impactful regarding today's message. Because they were talking about the fact that we're all new creations when we come to Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now God sees us not after the flesh, not after our our mistakes, our errors, uh, whether they be past, present, or future. Now we are children of God. And when He sees us, He sees Jesus. And He sees us as He created us to be, without all the junk and the stuff and the and the misprogramming that we're working on now as we renew our minds through the washing of the water of the word and this soulish realm, this personality that's been so corrupted. Amen. But anyway, I'll get to the point here. I'll start just a little ahead. So God never shuts the door to his presence. So we, she, they mentioned that we're all just ambassadors here. For the Lord Jesus Christ and ambassadors of His grace, we want reconciliation. That's why I tell people don't don't get into arguments with people that don't even have the Lord. They don't even have the ability to understand the things of God because they don't have the Spirit of God yet. Why would you argue with them? Why aren't you just praying for them and loving them and showing them what it looks like to be a Christian instead of being that one that Gandhi testified about his whole life? He said, "I would have been a Christian, but then I met one." God never shuts the door to his presence. We do that when we turn to the flesh. The good news is returning to the spirit, capital S, is easy. We simply remember who we are in Christ. We recognize that our 
stupid fleshly decisions are not who we really are. And even more liberating, we understand that this truth also applies to those believers who mistreat us. We realize that their foolishness is a result of their choice to pivot toward the flesh. And in those times, we can respond in grace. So then they were tested on this. (laughs) While we were in Russia, one of our translators fell into sin with another student. We knew the two wanted to date and wanted to get married, so we had agreed to mentor them and help hold them accountable as they headed toward courtship. We had regular check-ins with them, but one night, as they sat in our living room, they disclosed that they were pregnant. Mike and I were devastated. We trusted them, had invested in their lives, and given them responsibility to lead God's people. Their confession felt like a slap in the face, but as much as we wanted to rail at them, we took a deep breath, And remembered this foundation. We love you, we said. But more importantly, God loves you. Nothing you can do can ever separate you from his love. The pair began to cry. We know you're disappointed in yourselves. You have stumbled, but you're not disqualified. God sees you in Christ. His plans for you have not changed. Are you going to get back up? Are you going to return to the things of the Spirit? We didn't excuse their sin. We removed them from leadership and influence over the students. But we did not remove them from our home. We continued to pour into them and disciple them through the process of repentance and restoration, telling them when the enemy comes against you with condemnation, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to take courage, turn from this regret of the flesh and look to the Spirit. We asked them to continue attending school to learn and grow, and one day they stood before the entire student body and said, we're sorry. We misused the grace of God and thought we had to hide our sin. We were wrong. Please forgive us. The devil has tried to heap shame and condemnation on our brother and sister, we said, but we're not going to add to that. They have repented. Now we're going to show them the love of God. The couple eventually married and had a beautiful baby boy. They've since moved to the United States and added three more children to their family. We're so proud of them for choosing to walk in the Spirit. This was also a wonderful learning experience for our students. They saw repentance in action and were able to extend grace to their brother and sister and watch as God restored them. Some even approached us saying, we've never experienced anything like this. In Russian churches, you are humiliated in front of the entire body and excommunicated for making a mistake like that. You lose everything, your salvation, your calling, everything. I'll just stop there, but that's a great story. You know, I had... A similar a situation in a church that I pastored one time. And I got a guy to come there to help out my praise and worship leader who was extremely gifted. And so was he. You know, you, you think of Buddy and Sherry as far as singing and playing. And, I mean, this, but this young couple, they were just, they had... You know, he had album. I mean, I mean, they're they're just really, really, really talented. And uh, 
I had a check in my spirit about asking him. Because I remember him coming to a church where I had been training to in, in my pastorate. And uh, I remember a couple of the ministers ministering to him about a relationship he was in. He rejected their teaching because he was doing what he shouldn't have been doing. And he didn't ever come back. Well, me, I just want to, I want to go get everybody and get them reconciled with the Lord and just get them back into the service of the Lord. You know, my wife's, my wife's father was, a, he was, he was going to be a pastor and we, we were, she didn't even know that until after he died because they had divorced when she was very young and her mother kept his Bible though and it showed when he preached his first sermon and all this and that, but when he was caught and sin, uh, you know, with the cause of the divorce of her and her mother, and I hope she doesn't remind mind me saying this, but it, if it helps people, I don't think she minds. But they they threw him out of the church, you see. Instead of just setting him down and loving him and helping him and just taking him out of leadership for a period of time, which is what they should have done. Well, I had this happen, and, and uh, I won't get into all of the details, but... This, this couple came and told me they wanted to, you know, to, to date. I'm like, yeah, hey, it's fine. I said, just, you know, you need to do it God's way. Just be patient with the things that, you know, all young couples are burning for. Just be patient. Do it God's way. And you'll be protected. You'll be, you'll be entering into the covenant that God has for this and, and it'll be a beautiful thing and you'll be glad. He'll make you glad that you waited. You can never outgive God. Well, they didn't. They said they would, but they didn't. And the next thing you know, instead of having the praise and worship meetings and at the church where they were supposed to, they're having them in his house. And not only that, but she was already living there and they were they had bottles of whiskey and pills and Weed and the 14-year-old son of his who was also playing piano in the church was... And his, his one of the guys from... I didn't hear about this for a while. But one of the guys from the praise and worship team came and told me. And he said, man, I had to approach him about that with his boy. And he said, well, it's better he learned here in the house. So I'd rather teach him than somebody out on the street. That kind of old thinking like, like my old uncle had, you know. <laughs> who used to take took my 14-year-old brother, who's older than me, on that hunting trip, you know, to Mexico. Never mind. <laughs> Nevertheless, I called the man, and I'm like, listen, man, this, uh-uh, uh-uh. You understand, when I put you up in front of God's people, I'm saying, look what God can do. And here, you're bringing half of them over to your place, and Passing out party favors and whatever, and then now you've taken this 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 young woman who already had a terrible past and making it worse. And God is jealous for her. And anyway, they rejected my truth, God's truth, and me. And not only that, but the whole board of that church. Agreed with them. I said, I, I'm not here because you asked me to come. 
I'm here because this is where God has me to be. The devil's not going to run me off. But as soon as he tells me I can go, I will go. And when he did, I, I did. But that church isn't even there anymore. One of the last stories I heard was that that guy and that girl, they had tried to continue on with some services or something. They couldn't get a preacher to stay. And uh, they had a big fight up there. And he dropped his drawers and mooned everybody and told them some things on his way out the door. (laughs) So this is what resulted from that, you see. Then I found out he had been asked to leave John Olstein's church many years back for some of the similar same reasons. And I should have listened to God when I had that check in my spirit. These things are important. I had a guy approach me the other day. Or a girl. I'm not going to say. If I didn't already. So hopefully we'll see this person here. But said, what, uh, what, what's your church and so forth and so on? Told him. Said, well, I go to Second Baptist. I was raised in uh, Church of Christ. But I go to Second Baptist. But I just feel like I'm in a concert and I'm looking for a word-based church. I said, well, brother, <laughs> we ain't got much else to offer, but that's what you'll get with me. With us. And you'll get the love that God intends. Because it's, it's very, very exciting what's going on there regarding the love of God and the love of God's people for each other. Which is what Jesus asked for in that prayer on that fateful night. He said, well, I'm gay. I said, I know. <laughs> no, I said, okay. I've known. Um, he said, I know that at where I'm at, what they'll do, they put me through these classes and this and that, they'll try to change me. I'm just listening. He goes, and I know I'm very aware of what the Church of Christ will do. I said, yeah, me too. He said, so, there it is. He goes, I don't want someone to tell me it's okay. I was so impressed by it. I, I want the word of God, just like it is. I said, I will never, I said, the only thing, I said, you're welcome. I'll pick you up for church. There are going to be messages that rub you wrong. You're not going to be allowed to serve in leadership. I don't think I even said that, but I'm telling these are facts. I don't care what people have done, where they come from. If you saw me mowing my grass without my shirt on, besides the sin that goes before me that I committed with a fork, you'd see some, you'd see my marked up body. You'd see scars and tattoos and stuff like that. I don't care. God doesn't care where you've been. He cares where you're going. And I would love that person. I said, listen, man, I've got a sister who has lived that lifestyle my whole life. She's 10 years older than me. 
Before I knew the Lord, I used to go to her nightclubs because she always owned those kind of nightclubs. We'd go to the shows. Quite fun. I remember leaving town one night on a, a drinking spree. Took my best friend. I still got the, the old western shirt with his blood all over it. That's how I had to meet him. That's how you used to have to make friends in the world. His blood, though. But we went to stop by my sister to tell her goodbye on the way out of town at her club. And she was having one of those big shows that night. And it was packed. And I got her, in meanness, I got her to go up after the middle of the songs to the DJ booth. And announce that it was my friend's coming out party that night. And he's... He's... he's <laughs> and man... He began to get approached. What's all this uh, coming out party consist of? He's like, hey, I'm straight. (laughs) Anyways, I'm telling you that I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. If you want to move further with God and in leadership before this little body of believers and as it grows if everybody was ever show up at one time we might have to start talking about a building fund we just can't get you all here together at once but you know there's 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 there there are things and responsibilities and things like that in this life you know I go out and I rob the 7-Eleven down the store the corner, I may expect to go to prison for that. God's not going to change the way He feels about me. The same way in a church, you may not get to serve. You know, if there's someone who's, I mean, there's 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 sins that you would say, well, those right there, you should draw the line. Those shouldn't be allowed to come here. No, I'll pick them up for church, folks. I don't love that sin either. Whatever hideous thing you're thinking of, I hate it probably more than you do. But they need to be in church. And that's what I told this person the other day. You need to be in church. I said, I love my sister. She says she loves the Lord. I, I pray for her every day. I would defend her with my life. And the same I would for this, this person. You need to be in church. <laughs> but I'm not. You don't get cleaned up to take a bath. You just come as you are. Let Jesus do the changing. This this is what you're going to hear from up here. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus without eyeballs right here. And He's going to talk to you and He'll do the changing. The Holy Spirit, our Father in Heaven, Jesus Christ, the Master Builders. Something's broke. You take it back to the manufacturer. Got nothing to do with me. And if you really knew me, you would believe that. If you saw me crying yesterday to God and just thanking Him and just pleading with Him again and again, as I always do, Lord, don't let it be me. Let it always be you. And I do this. I said, just put me right here. Let me be the conduit. Nothing more than a tool. 
watering your lawn, feeding your children. Let you let it always be you that is the source and not me. That's all I want. That's all he wants, and so hopefully I'll stay out of the way and keep trying to feed you what I think he's given me to give to you, and uh, and we'll all grow together. And how many of you promised to meet me in heaven? Hold you to it now. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth, your grace, your provision and protection and guidance. Thank you for the word, the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you, Lord, for the help that we receive from you, the the healing for everywhere we hurt, the empowerment by your promises to live and to be and to do all the things you've called us to be and to do by your grace. And the love that you have poured out on us. And the prosperity that you seek for us to have. So that we can be blessed. To be a blessing. And not just financially. But prosper in every area of our lives. In our emotions. In our bodies. In our finances. In our work. In our relationships. In our families. In our marriages. Those who aren't married, Lord, if, if it's your will for them not to ever be married and you've given them that charismatic gift, that is one of the gifts. Paul had it, Jesus had it, but it's very seldom found. So if people are to marry that are not, have them seek you, Lord, for that perfect mate that you're preparing for them and ask them to see that you're preparing someone somewhere and that you are trustworthy and faithful and you have a perfect mate for them. And meanwhile, ask them, help them to ask you, to seek you to make them usable. Make them the perfect helpmate for that other person because you love them too while they're waiting. And meanwhile, give them the strength and the discipline And help them to grow in their relationship with you. Their eternal husband. Jesus Christ. Thank you Lord for loving us. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.